everyone and welcome to the R Word where we are going to be getting a little trashy with you today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to be talking about consumerism. So we're going to be discussing the differences between consumption and consumerism. Uh, then we're going to link consumerism to marketing, capitalism and debt and then tie it all together with the real reason why we're here. Destruction of the environment. Mm. So why don't we just dig into today's topic? Janelle desperately wants to tell us about consumption versus consumerism. Mm, do I ever? She does. Okay, so let's uh, paint a picture. We're going to start off with the Industrial Revolution and how quick mass production, making irrelevant goods, made it easier to acquire no matter what your tax bracket was. So the average income saw unprecedented growth, increasing the standard of living and the amount of disposable income that each person had, mm-hmm. making it easier to consume. Yes. So let's break down what consumerism is. It is living in excess. So much. So on the contrary, consumption is the basic needs of life, our physiological needs. So our consumption patterns have shifted into consumeristic patterns. We consume excessive amounts of everything just to secure a sense of self-fulfillment and status. A way to look at how this shift has occurred is by looking and comparing it to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs um, places our physiological needs or our basic needs as our foundation. So think of a triangle. Then our secondary is our safety needs, followed by love and belonging, and then esteem, and and at the top is Mm self-actualization. So when we look at consumerism in society, we see how this dynamic has been flipped. We now place our self-actualization, aka our ego, as our base, our Mm -hmm. foundation, and then ego and status is what has been feeding consumerism. It's the shiny new cars, and it's keeping up with the Joneses mentality. So the heart of consumerism says more is better. Therefore, our basic needs is being met, and it's not enough to validate our worth now. So we've been sold the idea that consuming less disrupts our social status, and that if people can't see our material accomplishment, it undercuts our value as a person. Mm-hmm, totally. So our needs, our, our amounts that we consume, you know, the average American home contains 300,000 things. It's an average size has tripled in the last 50 years, even though the average family is way smaller. Yeah. So the average 10-year-old owns 238 toys, but they only play with 12 a day, if that. If they have <laughs> yeah. an iPad, it's one. <laughs> um, Americans spend $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential goods, aka the unnecessary items. And we have now put ourselves in a situation where resource use has outpaced the sustainable amount our ecosystem can even handle. Mm. This only leads to one outcome, and it's the loss of resources. The problem itself is not necessarily just stuff. It's everything from new cars, meat, fast fashion, mm. electronics, travel, new buildings and homes. It's the mass amount of everything that we feel we need. Yeah. It is so important to check ourselves before, before we wreck, wreck ourselves. ourselves. <laughs> so why like ask ourselves why do we need a new phone every year why do we need a massive home for two people why do children need hundreds of toys we can answer this why question by taking about what role marketing plays in consumption yeah so 
what what role does marketing play Oy, marketing. in consumerism? Huge. So, <clears throat> marketing influences us to consume unnecessary items. It does this with volume, misleading claims, what we call FOMO, FOMO. as the millennials would know, uh, the fear of missing out, and status. The volume of advertisements we are subjected to daily keeps increasing and the information in many of these adverts we see, you know, is misleading. Fair. Marketing is trying to sell us status, and they push the FOMO super hard. So think about walking by a store with the sale today only sign on the door, or things like Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or end of the season sale. You know, the purpose of marketing is to make you consume. Marketing is hands down one of the biggest reasons I own an iPhone. <laughs> so volume-wise, Apple marketing is basically everywhere. Mm-hmm. Apple sadly likes to deceive us. You know, their website claims, and I quote, iPhones meant to last as long as humanly possible, yet everyone gets fed up with their iPhones after a couple new I- updates, right? Yeah. You update your iPhone, like I have a 6. Seriously, so slow now. Um, so Apple does this intentionally and this is what the cool kids are calling planned obsolescence and this means big companies make equipment fail so you'll get fed up and buy a new one because you desperately need it and you already know that that iphone you need to buy next because it's been marketed to you apple has their big you know meeting in september and everyone gets all hyped on like the new things that apple's coming out with so they they definitely hype it a lot they hype it it's also a big status symbol so i remember what i felt like when i got my first iphone (laughs) oh i can finally be a cool kid magically vaulted into the realm of popular (laughs) you know there are some serious fomo if we think uh, we are not up to date with the newest technology Mm -hmm. and heaven forbid my iphone is not rose gold it doesn't have the fancy new updates to control my lighting and heat and tell me what song is playing. First stop, taking over home remotely. The next, the world! Apple is going to take over the world. <laughs> um, so, originally marketing was meant to simply inform the consumer. But by the 20s, there was the shift in what the producer was trying to gain. It went from being a way to give consumers what they needed in terms of information and actual products they needed to making people want things to increase a company's profits. They did this by creating a feeling of instant gratification in the consumer. When you look at old advertisements, you can see the crazy thing these companies would claim to sell a product. Just watch Mad Men. (laughs) (laughs) Also, the 20s was when it became acceptable to push an agenda instead of a quality product. And studies are showing that as we were are repeatedly exposed to things, we start to believe what we're being told. That doesn't sound like it could go wrong. No, that sounds like a great (laughs) plan. Like the implications for not just things we buy, but also politics, really vague. So in the 70s, we were exposed to about 500 advertisements a day. Mm-hmm. Now, on average, we're exposed to between 4,000 4, and 10,000 ads a day. Like, they don't even know. Like, that's such a wide bracket. And upwards of 80% of the ads we view are on our phones, and social media is where we're exposed to the most ads just in general. Yeah. So our digital lives create an environment ripe for marketing, right? They have all of our information, wants, likes, search histories just at their fingertips. Targeted ads, 
definitely creep me out. Mm-hmm. It just shows that our consumer choices, just as our phones, are listening to us. <laughs> like, totally. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, sorry, Alexa. <laughs> Oh, she's, oh she's totally listening she's, right she's now. She's like totally listening. Um, <laughs> it makes sense why we consume so many goods because our 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 feed essentially, right? Yeah, it's being completely tailored to our every single desire. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. Everybody like even I remember people putting like little stickies over their cameras yeah, their on cameras. their laptops and stuff because yeah. they're just everybody's always either watching or listening. <laughs> they're like, I'm like, if someone wants to watch me on my iPad camera, like or my you know my computer camera, <laughs> on Sunday morning, it. it is not a good picture. <laughs> but hey, have at her. Yeah, exactly. Like why? Why would anyone be interested in like my Facebook feed? Like I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, so what's next? So next, uh, it's a pretty heavy topic it's uh capitalism and consumerism Mm -hmm. so you know after the world war there was a huge shift towards a surplus society right so during this time production increased by 12 to 14 times with the population only grew three times Hmm. (laughs) yeah seems a little heavy-sided so much stuff so the move away from being frugal and thrifty was a huge lifestyle change. Everything was way more convenient, and you could get it from one mm-hmm. store, aka Sears. Oh gosh, yeah. And uh, this can encourage like this insatiable need to just consume. Mm-hmm. You could get everything. It was three mm-hmm. floors high. Yeah. So I guess we can ask ourselves: Is capitalism the main reason for our insatiable need to consume goods? Meh, partially. But not completely. No, yeah. So capitalism has one goal, and it's to make money. It's not judgmental. It's an engine that needs money to function, 100%. Yeah. One key ingredient in capitalism is minimal government involvement. So I'm sure you've heard the term that the market regulates itself, aka government regulation, can hinder as much as it sometimes helps. But there is also the common phrase, the market will bear meaning that people dictate the price for a lot of items. So again, government involvement can throw off this dynamic. Capitalism requires increased profits year over year to be successful. So to increase profits, you have to increase revenue. Mm -hmm. Most companies do this in two ways. So one is by cutting costs, whether that's cutting the number of employees, cutting benefits, cutting wages, or cutting expenses. The second way is by increasing the amount that they are selling. So, mm-hmm. cue consumerism. Cue. So, consumerism is a fuel that capitalist companies need. This is why companies don't just sell limited items. Selling a lot of items at a varying price range makes products accessible to everyone. We went from having four fashion seasons to new clothing every week. We just mindlessly buy things and um I've done it before and we just forget about them mm-hmm. and we just leave them at the back of our closet yeah. or it just goes in the drunk drawer oh yeah everybody the has drawer. the drunk oh, drawer right mine's my kitchen table it is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she didn't even pull <laughs> into that one it is <laughs> uh, yeah private consumption is the money spent on goods and services in a household okay currently 12% of the world's population that lives in North America and Western Europe accounts for 60% of private consumption spending, mm-hmm. while the one-third living in South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa accounts for only 3.2%. Oh, 
Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Private consumption is what fuels economic growth, and money exchanging hands is what the economy needs to grow. So looking at impoverished countries that have very little money explains why they're not seeing a lot of growth in their economies. <clears throat> These impoverished countries are the ones that big capitalist countries go to to get cheap labor because of poor industrial standards and low environmental regulation, which keeps their costs down. Of course. Right? So Working everyone everyone just talks about how, like, oh, these countries, you know, they'd be so much more impoverished if they didn't have us. But also... We also would be a lot more in debt if we didn't have them. Yeah, exactly. And also, like, it's not much better to give them a little bit. You know, like, it's, oh, you know, it's good enough. Like, no one would do that in Canada. No. No one would do that no. in Canada. Super so. no. We would probably have, like, a riot and, There uh, were riots. That's why we have, yeah. like, labor laws and <laughs> building standards. So, we can regulate, essentially, all we want in Canada. Mm-hmm. But so many of the products that we consume are not made in Canada. Having great regulations on environmental and labor standards in Canada can only help the planet so much. Making products in other countries where there's a lot less regulation is a massive way companies cut costs. Mm -hmm. How do we hold other countries more accountable to the planet, especially when they are scared that they will lose a major source of income if these massive companies leave? I've not come up with an answer for this, but I really, really wish that I did. If you did, so, you would uh, definitely solve a lot of I would world get the problems. Nobel Peace Prize. You super would. And I would, I would be the girl being like, that's my girl. Oh, you would be with me. You would help, for sure. <laughs> We're podcasting and take over the world. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, the goal, eventually. Exactly, yeah. Um, we need to consume. But why do we consume so much? It's the golden question. You know, why do we <clears throat> shop till we drop? Or as we girls call it. Retail therapy. Uh, We're going to talk about that a little bit more. So how does consumerism tie into debt and emotional health? Mm -hmm. So, okay, well, let's start with uh, that little little bubbly joy feeling mm -hmm. you get in your stomach when you walk up to that cash register and you buy yourself those new shoes you wanted. Is it sparking joy? (laughs) Are you listening to Marie Kondo? Well, Mm -hmm. I think you might consider yourself an emotional shopper then. And, uh, I mean, why not? Consumers want to be happy. And marketers are increasingly trying to appeal to all consumers and their pursuit of happiness. But, unfortunately, this happiness is short-lived because the happiness only lasts for a day or less, which most studies have shown. Buyer's remorse. Buyer's remorse is huge with (laughs) this one here. Yeah, me too. I'm all like, oh, God, I buy something. I'm like, can I take it back? (laughs) I'm like standing there, I'm like, can I get a return actually? <laughs> so Americans spend more on shoes, jewelry, and watches than any higher education. They spend over a hundred billion dollars. So I think we can term this as suffocation. So this describes a state where people's lives are literally trapped in a vicious cycle of working and accumulating products in order to keep up with the pace of consumerism and their pursuit of happiness. Uh Our spending habits lead to the suffocation and all of its negative attributes. 
Consumers who are emotionally connected to a brand or product are most likely to consume twice the rate at a consumer that is merely just happy or satisfied with the product. crazy! Yeah, so emotional connection is so strong and it's a huge motivator of behavior because consumers will connect their values, their desires, Mm -hmm. or their aspirations to a brand or product or category. If you think like Nike, when you want to go to the gym, you know, you have to go get yourself that new workout outfit. Or, or even just think of, like, uh, you know, celebrities with their eye creams and stuff. They're like, oh, I use this face product. And you're like, oh, yeah, I love that celebrity. I want to use that, too. Like, yeah, for sure. So it's such an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And we have become a society that attaches our happiness to the products we consume. Um, you know, for me, sometimes it's a coffee in the morning. <laughs> um, or, you know, for Lindsay, it's buying that iPhone. But <laughs> don't worry, guys. We look cool while we, we do, do it. We do. We do. Oh, man. So... Companies are smart. They have put themselves in a position for this one-click buying function, and it's designed to trigger impulses, and uh, it plays on the emotions of the consumer. Mm -hmm. The rate of buying increases the more companies speed up delivery and convenience. Think about your Amazon, your Prime account, you know, I have one-click buying and it's very dangerous. Mm -hmm. So companies strategically implement new ways for people to feel that instant gratification for purchasing their new goods and how fast they're able to get it and then how fast they're able to get you back to buy it again. Yeah. So the slower the buying process, the lower the desire to shop. And this might actually help us break a little bit from the consumer cycle. Yeah. So we just need to slow down. Or maybe stop. Whatever. (laughs) Just at least slow down a little. (laughs) Um, So today, nearly half of American households don't save money. No? No. None. None. No. Why not? Uh, So we're going to pick on millennials because we are some. Yeah. So 48% of millennials have no savings at all. Or they actually don't know how much are in their savings, which I don't understand that because you're like, yes, I don't. Yes, yes, I have money in my bank account. It's just sitting there. Yes. I'm not that person, that's for sure. The unknown. So on average, excluding a mortgage, if you're lucky enough to own a house, um, a millennial, millennial carries thirty-three dollars to $42,000 in debt. And uh, majority of this is actually school loans. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side, the average millennial makes thirty to fifty thousand dollars a year, but spends close to about fifty dollars a day on consuming. Whoa. So, uh, to put it nicely, <laughs> we broke. Broke. <laughs> uh, all we do this is for is to keeping face in society. It's that emotional pull, and we are definitely playing that consumer game, and mm-hmm. we're just over consuming. Bing, bing, bing. Sorry to interrupt your regularly recorded podcast, but we have a special message for you. Before you buy something, take these five steps to see if you are impulse buying or you actually need something. This is the check yourself before you wreck yourself portion. (laughs) All right, what is step one? Step one, wait 30 days or at the very least, sleep on it for a day. Step two, have a list of items that you've thought about. This is especially good if you shop secondhand, because there's only usually one chance to find that item secondhand. Step three. Are you stressed? Overwhelmed? Avoiding things in your life when you find yourself browsing online stores or at malls? Write down those feelings and see if that helps you. Do you not want to go out and buy the whole shopping mall? <clears throat> Step four. Is it good quality? Do you feel pressure to buy this item? 
Maybe avoid purchasing this. Ah, step five. Personal guilt. It is a motivator in the sense, when I look at a new item of clothing, I think about all the people who have suffered in the making of this item. Secondhand shopping is a better alternative to brand new. Thank ding. you. Ding, ding, ding. Whoa, guys, seriously, now we need to talk about destruction of the damn planet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why? Right? We are here, we first are of here. all. Yeah, I mean, and, not for long. Well, yeah. <laughs> Theoretically. Theoretically. <laughs> That that took a turn. Um, but <clears throat> we're just going to dive right in. So if the rest of the planet consumed the way people in America do, we would need five planet Earths to produce all of the required resources. So that alone <sighs> speaks to the amount of exploitation and destruction of natural resources and humans on this Earth in the name of consumerism. In the name of consumerism. In the name so, animals are going extinct at an alarming rate. A study came out in 2015 states that almost 500 animals have gone in- extinct in the last 100 years. That's so gross. Yeah. The Caribbean monk seal is thought to be the first seal species to go extinct due to human activity. They were hunted for their blubber, which supplied fuel and food. We are exploiting the environment inadvertently and blatantly at the same time. <laughs> And we don't always know the impact our purchases have on the environment, but there's a high likelihood that it's not been made sustainably. Ugh, God. Mm. All right, let's get into it. All right, so as we've mentioned before, the average American uses three rolls of toilet paper a week. Depending who you are. So gross. Uh, (laughs) Not you, Janelle. You have a bidet. I do. Yeah. So Americans consume 20% of the world's tissue papers. And specifically, Costco's toilet paper is going to ruin Canada's, Canada's, not somewhere else, Canada's boreal forest if we don't do something about it now, says a study by two major environmental groups. That sounds like some boreal information. (laughs) I thought you were going to go boring. I was like, damn, girl, that's rude. (laughs) No, I'm trying to make it. It's boreal. It's boreal. Yeah. (laughs) So virgin pulp. Yeah is uh, the main ingredient in their toilet paper, and that accounted for 23% of Canada's forest exports. So these TP companies refuse to switch to a more sustainable form of paper because apparently Americans are quite preoccupied with their TP texture. This is where Canadian policies and could and should come into effect to protect our boreal forests, which are literally thousands of years old. Seriously, just get up a day, people. Your ass will thank you later. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, do you want to tell me a little bit more, Janelle? Because I feel like this one, this next one's going to speak to your soul. She only says that because it actually kills my soul slowly. (laughs) So, there's a couple of things we consume. Uh, The biggest environmental impact we see is on our water, as you have seen from our posts recently. Mm -hmm. So, now we know that water covers roughly 71% of the planet. So... What's the big deal since we have so much of it? Well, that estimates to about 80% of the world's wastewater is dumped back into water systems without being treated. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is where it hurts. Mm-hmm. 80% of almond farming, it is done in California. 
So this crop uses a lot of pesticides, which can cause contamination of the surrounding water. And because the water in the area is so limited, this will inevitably cause problems for anyone requiring a drink of water. Uh So it's estimated that it takes 15 gallons of water to make 16 almonds. 16. So basically a gallon of water per almond. Yeah. Let that one sink in. Yeah. Oh, oh. But and I the mean, best part. Six is a serving, so. Not in my almond milk. <laughs> <laughs> um, the best part is uh, they're destroying the wetlands to create new spaces to farm more almonds. Mm-hmm. Because we all need our almond milk. Yes, because we're all lactose intolerant. Yes. But, you know, avocados, mm. they're also a thirsty crop. And uh, they have also been linked to de- deforestation. Death of the station. Mm. Mm. As well as having a large carbon footprint due to uh, how it's shipped to stay fresh. And I don't know about you, but when you go to a grocery store, are they all freaking hard? Yeah, this time of year is the worst for <gasps> avocado. So, uh, sorry if we've ruined almond milk for you. Yeah. Which you have. Yeah. So, electronics are extremely exhaustive on our water systems. Mm. Interesting. Like, who thought up our product? Um, in our, like, to put this product in our electronics. I'm just going to read you something. Lithium is the 33rd most abundant element. Good. However, it does not naturally occur, however, it does not naturally occur in its pure form due to its high reactivity. Lithium metal, due to its alkaline properties, is corrosive and reacts with water. Breathing lithium dust or alkaline lithium compounds irritates respiratory tracts. Prolonged exposure to lithium can cause fluid to build up in the lungs, leading to pulmonary edema. The metal itself is a handling hazard because of the caustic hydroxide produced when it is in contact with water causing an explosion. So, yeah. Uh, What? (laughs) In areas where they mine lithium for batteries... Uh, There is an increased amount of, obviously, water pollution and chemicals Mm -hmm. while mining this product can also affect the soil and cause air pollution on top of depleting water for farmers and their animals. If you make it out alive at this point. Yeah, and, like, everything. Like, electric cars, our iPhones, our computers, like, literally everything. Every battery ever has this in it. So, that's cool. How do we dispose of this? Oh, yeah, we don't really. So... That's also interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm, good. Tell me about the cows. Okay. Well, um, deforestation in Brazil is uh, its kind of a big deal. I don't know if you saw on the news. Besides it being on fire? Besides it being on fire and uh, besides it not being there anymore. Um, thousands of hectares of the Amazon are being felled each year to create more space for cattle. So there is a specific company that has been fined, actually, millions of dollars for deforestation um, and other environmental violations. The increased demand of beef on a world scale is distressing for the Amazon. Almost 8,000 square kilometers of the Amazon has been destroyed since 2012 due to cattle farming. Mm Mm-hmm. Just, just the cows. Just cows. Just the cows. We're not talking about, you know, those little almonds or anything. No We're just avocados, talking about the cows. No almonds. None of that. <sighs> All, All right. right. What's the last thing we got to talk about uh, here, Linz? Cruise ships. Um, so your carbon footprint nearly triples. 
when you <laughs> take a cruise. So that's that's yeah, wow. that's not great. No. So cruise ships often dump their waste just right into the ocean. And the fuel that the majority of the cruise ships use is some of the dirtiest fuel. And this fuel creates about as much emissions as one million cars in yes. one day. Ah! One day? That is trashy. <laughs> so they use something called scrubbers to bring the fuel up to quote-unquote standard. And then they dump the pollutants just directly into the ocean. So uh, due to a lack of, wait for it, <clears throat> international regulation... There's nothing we can do about it, nor does the company technically have to do anything about the waste that they produce, especially if they can just dump it into the ocean without any recourse. Let me just wet my yeah. hands clean yeah. of literally your shit. Yeah, gross. <laughs> and the more regulation we have on an international level, the more we can actually protect the environment from a cruise ship. Standard, I guess. But yeah, please... Just don't take cruises. If you're going on a family cruise this Christmas, I apologize that I just ruined it for you. Um, but, yeah, cruise ships are not the best, so. Alright, well, uh, now you've heard basically how the world is being shut down. Uh, we're gonna give you a fun little tidbit for, uh. <laughs> so much fun! Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, December, Christmas is coming around the corner, so, uh, just like a little tidbit for this podcast yeah, the season the season mm-hmm. uh why don't you just try making your gifts this year uh we know that you all have like this little kid that's always been dying to get out and we kind of push it away most of the year uh why don't you create something for all your friends even mm-hmm. if it's just your friends that you do so you can do bath bombs or soaps yeah. or something really easy right <laughs> um but if you don't have time for all that there's always local Christmas markets that are open. Uh, all of the vendors are usually have handmade things, um, and they're local, which is super awesome. Totally. So support local. We always say that. Totally. We actually just went to the waste-free Christmas market, mm-hmm. and uh, we saw some awesome vendors. Had a good time. Uh, we had a good time. Yeah. And if you aren't into giving homemade items, the kind of rule of thumb I would say is go to shopping malls with a list. That way you're not overspending, you're not over-consuming. Just try shopping smart. Um, yeah. And I think another good tidbit is experiences. I think that experiences are really great gifts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether it's going to, you know, like, oh, I'll pay for us to go to the mountains and, like, let's go for a hike or, yeah. you know, like, let's go on a little trip together or, you know, something like that. Maybe... <clears throat> It's creating waste in a different way, but, you know, at the end of the day, at some point, we're all creating some sort of footprint, but it's kind of cool to give experiences, and then you get to share those memories with a person compared to something that might just end up in the trash. Or what the is. Well, you can say goodbye to those cute, cuddly, little tree huggers, (laughs) because of the, you know, koalas in Australia are now essentially functionally extinct. God. So functional extinction is when a population becomes so limited that they no longer play a significant role in their ecosystem and the population becomes essentially no longer viable. Cue drought, deforestation, and wildfires, and you have a mix of a very bad storm, Mm -hmm. all of which have nothing to do with climate change. (laughs) (laughs) For the koalas that survived the wildfires, the trouble has only just began. And there is now a limited supply of food um, due to deforestation and fires of the eucalyptus plant, which is their main source of food. Water and shelter are also limited in supply. 
Now, not to negate wildfires' benefits for Australia's ecosystem, but the bushfires have not been this bad since 1974 when three and a half million hectares were burned. With the early start of the bushfires this year in Australia, 2019 has brought so far 2 million hectares down to ash as well as an entire population of koalas. We have said it before, but we will say it again. Our planet is literally on fire. Your move. What's next? All right. So there you have it, folks. I hope you're feeling educated about consumerism, and if not, just enjoyed yourself. Uh, I hope you think twice about buying all of the things. Or just don't um, buy the things, Yeah, right? just that was the whole point it. of this yeah, podcast. Yeah, exactly. Do, <laughs> don't, think about it at least. If you have any questions about anything we discussed today, have any comments, you can email us at yyc at gmail.com. You can also find us at yyc on Instagram mm -hmm. and yyc on Facebook. And finally, on our website um, that directs you right to the podcast, just shoots you right in. So thank you for everyone for listening and getting trashy with us today. Mm -hmm. Until, Until next, next time. time.